1: Everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Limited Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. Joining me today in studio is my co-host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Mike, how are you, buddy? Doing well. Good afternoon, Chris. So what we wanted to do here with this show, this is a short and sweet update style show. Um, We wanted to talk about the avian flu. The main reason why we want to do this is we're getting a lot of questions. Mike's getting a lot of questions online. We're seeing things on Ducks Unlimited's Facebook page, Ducks Unlimited's Instagram page. Lots of comments, lots of questions. I'm getting texts. Even more importantly, there's hunters out there all over the country, really, right now, who are posting videos. I'm seeing them on TikTok and Instagram of dead or dying birds, sometimes like geese. I've seen some ducks, you know, it's just a good mix. But Mike, I wanted to come on here today and I wanted you to kind of provide a brief update of what you're hearing and, you know, what hunters out there should know about the avian flu.
2: Yep. It's definitely a hot topic, the hot topic in the waterfowling world right now. And I guess for a timestamp, this is December 2nd, uh, 2022. And we have, I guess we're probably about Two weeks, three weeks into what would be considered sort of a dramatic, what feels like a dramatic uptick in the number of re- reported cases and and observations of a lot of uh, dead or sick, uh, mostly geese is what we're hearing about right now. And so, yeah, we, we're gonna here in a couple of weeks we're gonna have a more extended update conversation on this. Uh, but given the timing of things and the the number of of Questions we're getting, we want to provide yet another update on it. The way I always start these discussions is to remind folks: I'm not a wildlife disease expert. I'm not a human health expert. The information that I convey in this regard is a is a result of me being able to talk with. With wildlife disease experts, mainly through the podcast, but also through some of the just just other conversations I've had, as well as wildlife veterinarians, and then referencing a lot of the information that's online through the uh, respective authorities. So, um, I I think you know Ducks Unlimited has positioned itself in this in this. Uh, relative to, to what's going on with avian flu as a way to help communicate our state and federal partners, communicate some of these key messages to waterfowl hunters. As a reminder, we have a website where you can find a lot more information, ducks.org slash avianflu. Check it out. A lot of great information there. But to sort of a, an update right now, we continue to hear about uh, reports of large outbreaks of sick or dead birds uh, that are being seen in a number of states. I'm I'm not going to try to list all the states where they are because I don't know that. I don't know that right now, but I've heard about large outbreaks in South Dakota, Utah, uh, Washington, Oregon, uh, Arkansas. I've heard about reports in in Louisiana, some in Mississippi. I I got a call just the other day of a, a guy who has property in Mississippi and he has, I a, hundred, a couple of hundred sick or dead geese on his property. So this is, it's continuing. There's um, Florida, pretty much every state has either a detection in a wild bird or pretty substantial outbreaks that are, that are being observed. Uh, the key guidance that we'll continue to provide to people is that if you have those observations, if you find sick or dead birds, don't handle the birds, first call your local or your state wildlife agency Or look online, just Google, whatever your state wildlife agency is, comma, avian flu, chances are most of them are going to have a resource website out there with some guidance on it.
1: Yeah, and that's important. That's one thing very important because I'm seeing, you know, I'm basically like kind of scouring the internet looking for some of this stuff. And, you know, I'm seeing Instagram posts and, you know, reels and TikToks of hunters, Like picking up these birds and trying to, I don't really know what they're trying to do, make a video of them holding a live snow goose, but you can tell the bird is infected um, with something potentially, you know, you can't tell, but, um, and you make a good point in that, in the responses that there are other diseases out there as well, Um, but it's highly recommended um, to not pick up these birds.
2: That, that's right. That's a great point, Chris. We can't necessarily assume that all these sick or dead birds that we continue to see are a result of avian flu. There are a couple of instances, if you look online, and these are circulating on, on social media, I've seen a couple of instances of, of reports of outbreaks of 100 or 200 dead ducks or geese that have tested negative for avian flu, or, and maybe they suspect avian cholera. Uh, I don't know that that's confirmed yet, but the point is... There are other diseases that could be affecting waterfowl, and there are diseases that affect waterfowl at some level every single year. So there's a lot more that we'll kind of talk about in, in the subsequent weeks on trying to put this in larger context of a you know what are the what are the likely what do we think the impacts are going to be for the population, uh, how does this compare to previous outbreaks and and the number of waterfowl that would normally die in a given year from outbreak from any kind of disease yada 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 that kind of stuff there's a lot of things to talk about but we wanted to provide this uh, this short update. Uh, just to to remind folks of the guidance, call your state wildlife agency, look up the resources, but then also to touch on a couple of, uh, I guess, some of the more more common questions that we've been getting. I've been getting a lot of emails, a lot of folks have been calling our, our staff, and, and I have been the recipient of of those kind of ultimately down the line. So, that's I think that's kind of what we wanted to do, right?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, that's one thing. Well, I think this is a great platform to use because I'm getting text messages from guys that I hunt with or know me. And um, they're just like, hey, I know you're in Arkansas. Hey, can this thing hurt my dog? You know, there's questions like that that I'm sure you'll get to here. So, let's go ahead and start off. I know you've got a list of some questions that, you know, you can provide answers for.
2: The I guess the three most common questions that we want to address here. There's a whole host of other questions. Again, go to our website and get all those other frequently asked questions. And these are covered there too, but I want to provide a little bit of additional context because I reached out to Dr. Dave Stallneck with the Southeastern Cooperative Wildlife Disease Study here over the past couple of days to confirm some of my understanding or my thinking about how some of this works. And and he confirmed it and shared an email with me this morning. And so that get, kind of gave us the, the freedom to to wanna convey this information. Because again, not wildlife disease experts, so I wanna be very careful about what it is we're sharing. But yes, one of the common questions is, is it a risk to my dog? Is it a risk to me? Then there's the whole thing about, is it a risk to other birds and other types of animals? And we'll get to that in a minute. But with dogs and humans, The guidance and the understanding continues to be that it represents a a pretty low risk, a relatively low risk to both domesticated dogs and humans. That doesn't mean that we can't get it. it. It has been confirmed in wild canids. It has been confirmed in a couple of humans in prior instances. No, no additional new cases of which I'm aware. And so, one of the things that I find myself doing when I, when people ask me this question is is try to put it in the context of risk. Like we can get it, but one of the things that you have to 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 kind of factor into your your thinking is this, you know, the. the The severity of disease, and this is what Dr. Dave Stalnak confirmed, the severity of the disease that could result or that... Yeah, that could result is partly a function of the viral load mm-hmm. that an individual takes in. And by viral load, it's you kind of think about if the virus is in the water, think about the difference between just getting a droplet of water in your mouth versus being bold and taking a glass of water and, and <laughs> filling it up yeah. and drinking the whole thing. You're going to get a much higher viral load if you drank the glass of water, which we certainly do not recommend. No. Um so it's a lot of this uh, is a, this risk factor is about viral load, whether we're talking about humans or, or or dogs, and it's no different than again the way we talked about and thought about uh, the the coronavirus and putting yourselves in situations where you were less likely to get exp- number one exposure to the virus, but if you were exposed to it, try to minimize the amount that you might mm-hmm. get exposed to. It also matters. Uh, they, they think what that that kind of mode of, of intake is, if it's just in the mouth or if it's a deep inhalation, if it's, uh, you know, into the deep into the lungs, which brings up another question, is it, is it airborne? And my understanding from, from talking with Dave is that it's not, it's not inherently airborne, but it can be airborne if, if you, if you got real small water droplets in the air. And this is relevant to some of the areas that, that he and and others are kind of most concerned about with regard to human exposure and think about in the context of the human the the viruses that humans are susceptible to the mode of transmission for us is like through coughing through the air through the the droplets that would would come out from coughing or sneezing or or talking or, or whatever else given the this virus the avian flu virus is in the water. And all these ducks and geese are in the water, and the primary mode of transmission there is through the drinking of the water by those birds. You know, there's not a lot of in, in situations in which we would find ourselves in amongst a lot of coughing, wheezing ducks or geese. Yeah. You know, where they would be shedding that virus through, let's say, aerosolized aerosolized particles. So, from an aerosolization standpoint, it's in most instances it's very low risk of us getting it such that we would be inhaling it deeply. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be mindful of of water from your hand to your mouth. If you're out there retrieving birds, if you're setting decoys, just be mindful mm-hmm. of, you know, not doing a whole lot of wiping of your mouth after you've got water on it. We, I was talking to a guy yesterday and I said, you know, after talking with you, one of the things that I might adopt myself is carrying a little bottle of sanitizer, hand sanitizer. We did that all throughout COVID, mm-hmm. right? Got we, got everybody got used to, to that. It, yeah. And the same thing applies here. If you're out there picking up decoys or getting bird retrieving, getting the bird from your retriever, after you do that, just put on some hand sanitizer and, and you know, you're going to minimize that that risk at that point or reduce that risk. The one area where Dave told me that they remain concerned about potential human and in, in, uh, humans getting this virus to a point that it may be of a concern are in things like plucking sheds where there's not good ventilation. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's important is you think about that. What's happening when you're plucking birds, it's you know, you're spinning, mm-hmm. uh, spinning uh, feathers, and you could be causing some aerosolization of the of those water droplets that may contain the virus. If you're, uh, that's that's why the the guidance is to not smoke while you're you're cleaning birds, trying to minimize that inhalation of of those types of situations where where you could be exposed to some of those smaller droplets, and and so. Plucking sheds, especially if they aren't well-ventilated, that's considered a higher-risk environment. And so we kind of take precautions there. If I found myself in that situation, i one, I'd try to make sure it's well-ventilated. If I couldn't, or maybe even if I was doing any kind of plucking, especially with some mechanical pluckers, it wouldn't be beyond reason for me to think about wearing a mask, you know, just to to minimize that, that, that potential exposure from an inhalation standpoint. The other thing that's important, whether we're talking humans, Dogs and that that kind of exposure thing, viral loads the same thing with dogs. I was telling someone Try not to let your dog just go out there into a field into a wetland that you know is loaded with dead geese and just lap up water after water after water. You know, understand if there's going to have to retrieve birds and there will be some viral load that that might make might, would come in contact with. But just try to minimize that. Don't let it just drink and drink and drink. Be smart about it and keep an eye on your dog. And if they develop symptoms, go to your vet. Wouldn't be out of the question to proactively call your vet and ask what, about treatments and type of things that you need to look for. I don't have any idea mm. of that. Um, but the other thing that's important in this kind of relative risk equation is the same way it was with COVID. It depends on kind of the, the vulnerability of the individual, whether it be a dog or human. You know, People that are immunocompromised are going to be at higher risk. People that may have some pre-existing condition, especially if it's if it's a respiratory condition, m- would likely be at higher risk. So all of those things have to factor into your decision on the the, the precautions that you're going to take as a hunter. I asked Dave. You know, Dave continues to say, Dave Stalnack continues to say the overall risk is really low, mm-hmm. and, and the data bear that out. That's not to say you you need to be. That's not to say you shouldn't take precautions. You certainly shouldn't be careless. You need to understand the virus, need to understand modes of transmission and factor that into your situation and try to minimize that overall risk to your to you or your dog and others around you. And then we've talked also about the, the backyard flocks and the commercial facilities, mm-hmm. and we'll get to that in a later conversation. But this is some new information regarding that relative risk to humans and dogs that we thought would be useful to bring to people.
1: Yeah, and I think that's important. You remind people, this is still very low risk. It is. You know, we're doing this type of show and we have the website set up just to inform people, to That's keep right. people, because I mean, I'm getting the questions, you're getting the questions. You know, there are people on group texts all over the country right now. Duck hunters were like, you see that big, you know, yeah. 10, 12 dead birds out in the field mm-hmm. or 100 or whatever it is. Um, so these questions are coming up, people are talking about it. And yeah. so, but I, I think first and foremost, we're not trying to scare people. Absolutely here. not. And yeah. we're not trying to say you can't go or, nope. you know, nothing like that. I just want to make sure that everyone is aware of that. And as far as dogs go, like you said, we've not had any reports of dogs getting this. That's so, right. you know, and another thing to keep in mind is we've gone like halfway through the season. I mean, a lot of Northern states' seasons are either closed or getting ready to close. Yeah. So we've gone through half the, the waterfowl season throughout, you know, the U.S. at least. And so we have we've heard from a lot of different people on this. And
2: guarantee you a lot of dogs have already been exposed to this. Mm -hmm. Guarantee you a lot of humans have already been exposed to this. The fact that we're not hearing about people coming down with severe illness sort of reinforces that, that what we hear from the experts about it being low risk. Again, doesn't mean we can be careless with it because we have to, have to stay vigilant. Keep an eye on yourself. Keep an eye on, on your pets. We have an important role to play. If you think your dog is, is showing signs of lethargy, just not, not doing quite right, take it to the vet. You know, more we learn about the potential, um, the potential for this virus to infect dogs, the better we're all going to be kind of going forward with, with better information. The other thing, this, this is where we'll leave it unless you have something else. I've been getting a lot of questions about are other birds, bald eagles, scavengers, and are other mammals susceptible to this? The answer is yes. Eagles and other, any other animal that scavenges a dead bird, if it died from from avian flu, it's going to is going to take in that virus. There, they, they can fall ill. Uh, lots of reports of raptors already falling ill, dying. We will see that. Uh, that's not unexpected. I got a report from a guy a few days ago in Arkansas who said he's they found a skunk near their barn that was in its final death throes, and he asked me if that could be avian flu. I said, it absolutely could be, because they will scavenge those carcasses mm-hmm. of dead geese, which he told me were within 100, 200 yards of where he found that skunk. So, it absolutely could be uh, could be avian flu. They, there's been documented cases in other mammals, in other skunks, in other states as well. I advised him to report that to uh, to the state agency because they may be interested in testing that animal to see if it, in fact, um, was. So, so yeah. There's there's those things. The other thing about the, um, I do want to go back real quick on the whole viral load thing. That's why we gave the guidance early on, passed along the guidance, I should say, not to let your dog chew on these carcasses Mm -hmm. because we know from prior work that the Southeastern Cooperative Wildlife Disease Study uh, did is that the viral loads are highest in the organs and in the brain. Um, and so the, the viral loads on the feathers, viral loads on the skin and the muscle tissue, those are all relatively low where you find most of the viral loads in the organs and in the brain. And so a lot of people that like to eat the heart or maybe eat the organs, you know, you might rethink that this year, especially if you're hunting in an area of, of high apparent avian influenza outbreak, it, that's, that's the precaution that I will adopt, um, the the risk would would as we've said many times still be low why Kind of take the why take the chance. If you want to take the chance, go ahead. I would if 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 you are eating the organs, this is cook one of those thoroughly. cases. I would say you would want to cook it thoroughly. Those are kind of the main, uh, I guess, new questions that we've been getting, or more pointed questions we've been getting, and thought it'd be useful to pass those along. Anything I'm missing, Chris?
1: Nope. I think that's. I think you hit everything that the information that we have now. I think the most important thing is if hunters out there, if you are seeing these die offs, contact your local state agency. Uh, that's important you don't want to go out there picking up birds, you know, necessarily. You don't want to be handling um, all of these big, you know, piles of carcasses. Yeah. Um, yeah. Avoid yeah, we that. Can't,
2: yeah. We can't provide any advice on that. We're not going to provide any advice on no. what to do with those. That's clearly within the purview of your state agencies. And I do know that some state, ag- state agencies are advising a bit differently on mm-hmm. how to handle that. So, absolutely contact those agencies. Cool. And
1: for more and additional information, you can visit ducks.org forward slash avian flu. Uh, there's videos. There's um, podcasts. There's you know tons of frequently asked questions. Some of the ones that we answered today are on Maybe there.
2: not videos. That was a social media deal.
1: Yeah, that's right. Videos not on there. The podcast for sure but yeah I think that pretty much covers it Mike that's awesome thanks for the update
2: you bet and uh, stay tuned for a couple in a couple of weeks we'll have another episode on this uh, in much more detail kind of recapping some of what we know and giving an update I'll be going to the North American Arctic Goose Conference next week and I am certain this will be a topic of conversation there so I have some fresh information on the back side of that
1: awesome that's exciting I'd like to thank my co-host Dr. Mike Brazier for coming on the podcast today and providing an update on avian flu I know there's a lot of hunters out there asking questions about it I'd like to thank our producer Chris Isaac for being awesome and putting the Show together and getting it out to you, and I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting wetlands conservation.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, and visit www.ducks.org slash du podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport.